0: Welcome to this presentation of First Baptist Church Loeb. We're glad to have you joining us today. Our mission at FBC Loeb is to bring glory to God by being disciple makers. For that purpose, we present the following resource, that it may be a blessing. All right, well, you can grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. It's good to be preaching again this morning after being off last week and being at preteen camp. I have to say, it it doesn't feel like Sunday to me because my schedule has been off for the last two weeks. Obviously, it is because we're all here, uh, but it doesn't feel like that, so I'm still a little bit off. But I appreciate Jason filling in for me last week, and uh, good to be back this morning. And uh, as we continue our study through Luke's gospel, Uh, we come this morning to one of Jesus' most well-known teachings uh, as we take a look at what Jesus teaches about prayer. And so we're in Luke chapter 11, and we are going to pick up beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. So a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the story of uh, Mary and Martha, and we were reminded of the fact that we were created to know God. That is what life is all about. And now as we move into chapter 11 of the story, Luke tells us about a time when Jesus was off praying by himself, as he so often did. But on this particular occasion, when Jesus finishes, he is approached by one of his disciples who asks him to teach them how to pray. And you'll notice that the disciple points to John the Baptist as an example. And so apparently John the Baptist had taught his followers a method of prayer, and now this disciple comes and asks Jesus to do the same thing for them. And so beginning in verse 2, Jesus gives what has become commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, right up front, consider for just a moment that the fact that a disciple asks Jesus to teach about how to pray, and the fact that Jesus does so, implies that there is, in fact, a right way to pray. There is a right way to pray. And that's worth thinking about, because so often... Our teaching on prayer is simply limited to to telling people to to talk to God about whatever, uh, just like it's any other conversation. And to be clear, I don't think that that approach is wrong, per se, as much as it's just incomplete. If we leave it at that, then there are going to be areas of, of needed prayer that we overlook or that we neglect. And so Jesus shows us that in this prayer. Now, as we read it, you may have noticed that what Luke records here doesn't sound exactly like the Lord's Prayer as we typically learn and memorize it, which is found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Luke's version is abbreviated, and Matthew's version gives more details. And I think there are a couple of reasons for the differences, but mainly I think it's because this prayer is not intended to be a formal prayer necessarily for us to repeat verbatim, although it can be used that way, as long as we approach it intentionally and not just going through the motions on autopilot. But instead, what Jesus is giving us here is a framework. This is a model prayer that can be uh, given over, over uh, time by di- in different ways by different people. So there are, there are five different parts or petitions to this prayer. And, and they cover the big, the big picture of what we should pray about as Christians. And then the details of those petitions can be filled in in a hundred different ways, depending on who you are and, and what your particular circumstances are. Right, but before we get to the petitions, the first thing that we should notice here in the very first word is that when Christians pray, we are not simply addressing God generically. Right, we are addressing God as our Father. And it's important for us to see that we enjoy the privilege of having a personal relationship with the God of the universe. Now, How is that possible? Well, despite our sin and our rebellion against him, God has sent Jesus to live, die, and rise again to pay the penalty for our sin so that we can be forgiven by, by turning from our sin in repentance and placing our trust in what he has done to save us. Right, but that's not all. Now The Apostle Paul tells us in his letters to the Romans and the Galatians and the Ephesians that, that more than just calling it even, God has actually gone further and adopted us into his family so that now he relates to us in the same way that a father relates to his children. Except for the fact that that God is perfect and, and he's omniscient and omnipresent and omnipotent, right? and human parents are not, uh, but even better. And so, uh, prayer is, is us coming to God in the same way that a child comes to a parent. The, this, this relationship is the only thing that makes prayer truly possible, right? Because by nature, we are enemies of God, and we only deserve to receive his judgment. But in Christ, we have access to God in the same way that a child has access To their parent. And this prayer shows us uh, the way to approach God in that way. And so as we look at verses two through four, we see again there are five parts or petitions to the prayer. And so, first of all, as we address our Father, we should pray, hallowed be your name. And the word hallowed means means honored or or reverenced. And God's name refers to his reputation, right? In the ancient world, a, a person's name encapsulated everything about who they were and, and what they did. Uh, it's, it's a person's name is basically themselves, who they are. And so last week in our discipleship class over the Ten Commandments, we talked about the third commandment of not taking God's name in vain, and this petition is the exact opposite of that, right? Here we pray that the Lord will be acknowledged and honored as the one true God, both in our own individual lives and around the world. Uh, this is a prayer for, for God to be glorified. Next, the second petition in the prayer is, Your kingdom come. As we've already seen, the the nature of the kingdom of God has been the essence, the substance of Jesus' ministry as he has traveled around teaching and proclaiming that the kingdom has come in and through him. Of course, the, the tension is that while the kingdom is here, it's not yet fully what it will be one day when Jesus comes back. And so Jesus' miracles and the work of the Holy Spirit allow us to get a taste, a preview of what life will be like when he comes back and makes all things new. Uh, But until that day, as we experience the difficulties in our own lives and we see the craziness that's going on around the world, we should pray for God to, to bring his kingdom in its fullness. And between now and then, we are to spread the news of this kingdom by making disciples of all nations in our own lives. Then in verse 3, we see that we are to pray for God to give us each day our daily bread. And this is a request for God to meet our daily needs, particularly uh, the need for food. Now, by and large, we don't feel this need in the same way that people did in the ancient world. Most of our pantries have at least a couple weeks worth of food stocked in them. Uh, We can go get a meal at a fast food restaurant just about any time. We have a fairly... uh, uh, steady income and so we don't usually have to worry about our daily bread but the truth is that this is a historical anomaly and it has not been that way in most places throughout human history and at the same time it doesn't change the fact that God is the one who decided that we would live in the United States in the 21st century with so many blessings around us and so the credit still goes to him providing for us so well that often we begin to take it for granted. And and even having said that, uh, in our present economic situation, have a little bit more inflation. Have a little more instability in the stock market. Have higher interest rates. Find yourself unexpectedly unemployed. Have a, a little more shipping chain crisis. Have some mass hysteria during a, a pandemic or a natural disaster where you can't find toilet paper, right? And the, and the grocery aisles are, are all empty. All right? And suddenly, being concerned about our daily bread becomes a little bit more relatable. And per- perhaps you felt that a bit more than normal lately. All right? But whether we're conscious of it or not, the reality is that we are completely dependent on God. And so it is right for us to pray for him to provide for our daily needs, whether they're financial or otherwise. Then in verse 4, we see that we are to pray for God to forgive us our sins. On, on the one hand, if we have responded to the gospel and placed our faith in Jesus, then, then we have been forgiven of our sins in the big picture. Right? We've been made right with God, and we will be saved on the day of judgment. All right, but at the same time, as we go through life, we continue to sin. And as we do that, we need, to, uh, we need to confess that and repent of that because in sinning, we break the fellowship that we have in our relationship with God, All right? So if, if I say or do something that is inconsiderate towards Rebecca, then, then I need to do something about that. That needs to be addressed, right? I need to apologize, and she needs to forgive me so that our marriage can stay healthy because apart from that, that there's an ongoing tension between us because we both know that something's wrong and we haven't done anything about it. And we both know that. And the same thing is true in our relationships with friends or coworkers or whoever. And in the same way, when we sin, we need to confess that to the Lord. We need to ask for his forgiveness in order to maintain a healthy relationship with him. And so as we pray, we should consistently confess the ways we've sinned and ask God to forgive us to help us move forward in repentance. Now, you'll notice that this petition has an additional clause in the middle of verse 4, which is, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. All right, so we see the, the principle that forgiven people forgive people. All right, as people hurt or offend us in life, our response should be to forgive them as we have been forgiven. Right, if we have any grasp at all on how much God has forgiven us through Jesus, then we should realize that there is no offense that is too great or too much for us to forgive someone else. And an unforgiving spirit that's unwilling to do that should should raise questions about the state of where our heart is. And of course, having said that, I don't want to oversimplify things as if to, to indicate that all hurts are equal in life, because they most certainly are not. Right? Many offenses or, or hurts in life can be forgiven and, and moved on from relatively quickly, but some offenses, some hurts, are not that way. Sometimes they, they, they require a process of, of forgiveness that happens over time, and that's perfectly okay. Right? The point here is that whether it's instant or not, the default posture of our hearts should always be inclined to forgive other people who wrong us as a reflection of the grace and mercy that we have received from Jesus. Then finally, Jesus ends the prayer by teaching us to pray that the Lord will lead us not into temptation. And at first, that request may sound weird because the Bible is clear that God does not, under any circumstances, tempt us to sin or lead us into situations where where we might uh, fall short or or, are set up to fail. But instead, this this phrase is a a sort of shepherding phrase, referring to how a shepherd would lead his sheep, and and the reality behind it, that sheep have a tendency to get themselves into dangerous situations. And so, as I've said before, if if left to myself, I'm going to make a complete mess of things in my life. Satan and the world and my own sinful flesh conspire against me, tempting me to get off track spiritually. And so the essence of this petition is that the Lord will lead us away from situations where where we might compromise our faith. the, The burden here is really captured in the verse that we sang a while ago. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Lord, don't let me go where I shouldn't go, whether that be with pride, or greed, or lust, or self-centeredness, or anger, or whatever the case may be for each of us. And so in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to seek God's glory and his kingdom, and to also seek his provision and intervention in our lives, both physically and spiritually. And so Jesus has taught us what to pray about, but he's also going to teach us how to pray. And we'll read that as we pick up again, beginning in verse 5. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so picking up again in verse 5, Jesus turns from teaching us what to pray to telling us how we should pray. And, And the main idea is that we should approach God in prayer with a confident boldness, and he makes his point here by, by narrating a rhetorical situation where a man has a, an unexpected guest come to his home in the middle of the night. And as I'm sure most all of us can appreciate right now in the heat of summer, in the ancient world, people would sometimes travel by night in order to avoid the heat of the day, particularly if you were having to walk from place to place. And since there were no modern forms of communication at that time, it was really difficult to give an accurate estimate of when you would arrive at your particular destination. And so because of this, culturally speaking, people were just flexible. Uh, and it was understood that, that hospitality would be extended whenever it was required. But in this instance, for whatever reason, this man has nothing to offer his guest for food. Now, we've talked before about how important hospitality was In the ancient world. Uh, It was was of of chief importance. And so for this man to not have anything to offer his guests to eat would be a cause of great shame and dishonor. And so very quickly he, he says to him, hang on, don't go anywhere. I think I hear my mom calling. And he runs across the street to a friend's house and he knocks on the door and he calls out for assistance. And he says, hey, you've got to give me something so I can give it to this guy who's just shown up. Unfortunately, this this friend is not inclined to help. He says to go away because the door is already locked, the whole family is asleep. And so in an average house in the ancient world, everyone would would sleep in one big room. And so for him to get up and start moving around would would risk waking everyone up. Well, in verse 8, Jesus says that even though the friend won't give the man anything because of their friendship, nevertheless, uh, because of his impudence, Uh, He will give him whatever he needs. And this part of the passage is incredibly difficult to interpret. For one, it's it's not clear who the he is. Is is it the man or is it the friend? And it's also challenging to pinpoint the exact meaning of of impudence. Is it talking about persistence or is this referring to a sense of shamelessness? Uh, And lots of ink has been spilled over the centuries by scholars and theologians Uh, arguing for various understandings, and be glad to talk more about that with you, if that's something that you're interested in. But but the main point, however Luke intends for it to be understood, is that because this man has asked, because he has come to ask, he is eventually going to get whatever he needs. And then in the last section of the passage, Jesus applies the illustration. So in verse 9, he says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. All right, Jesus calls us to approach God with the same kind of, of confident boldness. and right, We should be confident going to God in prayer. All right, we need to remember that we're not dealing with the IRS here or, or the grouchy worker at the DPS office. All right, we don't have to convince God to help us out or, or twist his arm to give us what we need. God is, is the one who loves us perfectly and who has demonstrated his love for us through Jesus. God doesn't sleep. He's never without supply. It's never an inconvenient time for him. And so anywhere, anytime, for any reason, we can go to God in prayer knowing that he is available to us. And then in verse 10, Jesus says that everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. We have to be careful here because this is not a promise that everyone gets everything that they ask for in prayer, right? We know that from experience, and even in the Bible, Uh, people's prayers are sometimes not answered in the way that they want. But what this is, is a statement of the freedom and availability of all God's people to come to him, right? None of us has a a special inside track to God's ear, right? And and none of us will be ignored by him as unimportant, right? He cares for all of us, and will answer all of our prayers according to his perfect wisdom. And so everyone should ask, seek, and knock. And then finally, in verses 12 through 13, Jesus doubles down on this point uh, even more. He says that if we humans who are sinful at our best understand how to give good gifts to our children, then how much more does our perfect heavenly father know how to give good things to his children, to give us what is best for us. And specifically, we see that God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And this is an interesting detail. Jesus specifically promises that God will give us the Holy Spirit if we ask him. Certainly, the Holy Spirit is the most important gift that God could ever give us in salvation. But I think also that if we see our lives from the vantage point of scripture, where where the the main idea is is not somehow getting our circumstances to change, as much as it is using our circumstances to glorify God, then then the Holy Spirit is what we need the most here and now as well. Are are we having financial difficulties? Then we need the Holy Spirit, right? Are, Are we in conflict with someone that we know relationally, and we need the Holy Spirit. Are, are we sick and not feeling well? We need the Holy Spirit. Are, are we confused about what to do in a particular situation and, and, and don't know which way to go? Well, we need the Holy Spirit who, who guides us and empowers us and who intercedes for us when we don't have words for prayer ourselves according to Paul's words to the Romans. And so we need the Holy Spirit, and when we ask for the Holy Spirit, Jesus says that God will give him to us. And so in our our passage this morning, Jesus teaches us both what to pray and how to pray it. And obviously, this is not everything that there is to say about prayer. The New Testament gives us lots of additional teaching about it. But this is a solid framework for prayer that gives us a foundation for prayer. And so broadly speaking, the Lord's Prayer gives us the categories and the priorities that God wants us to pray about in our individual lives, but also corporately as a church. And I don't know whether or not you picked up on it, but this is not an individual prayer. It is a corporate prayer by its very nature. It's not my Father, it's our Father. It's not my daily bread, it's our daily bread. It's not only my sins, it's our sins. And so this prayer should shape the way that we pray corporately as a church family. And so wherever we are, whatever situations or circumstances we find ourselves in, we can and should pray, Father, may you be glorified in our lives. Hallowed be your name. We pray that your kingdom will advance through us, even as we pray for you to come back and make all things right again once and for all. Lord, give us what we need to navigate this day well. Forgive us for the ways that we fail to do that. And please keep us from completely messing things up as you bless us with your Holy Spirit. And so this morning, may we consistently pray according to Jesus' pattern. May the Lord hear us and answer us as we do. Let's pray together.